Hello and welcome to the best is net to come. My name is Josh and I am joined as always by Richard Tuba and Michael Rubenstein. We took a week off, guys, you know, after the Nets lost to the Bucks in game seven to just recuperate, lick our wounds. Uh, they got bumped earlier than we thought they would. Uh, despite all the injuries, unusually bad shooting from certain players, we will probably tear to shreds in this pod. Kevin Durant was one giant toe away from walking away with a Game 7 win. Unfortunately, that toe was on the three-point line, and it goes to overtime. The Nets lose. It's been it's been tough. It's been a tough week. Uh, I definitely spent pretty much until like Thursday of last week not going on a single NBA podcast that I listened to, not even checking Instagram that much, avoiding Twitter. It was it was painful, but I know you guys felt the same. Uh, Mike, you're better at blocking out the internet than Rick and I, I think. So how how was it for you after they lost? <laughs> yeah, so. I was able to delete all my like internet stuff, social media for like my personal self last year. And that was hard and I, I got through it and like now I'm good with it. But for this pod, I created our best is net Instagram where all I follow are Nets accounts. You created the Twitter, but I have access to it. All it does is follow NBA and different Nets fan stuff. So like I did not block it out <laughs> for <laughs> The first two days after the Nets lost, like, it was bad. I was just, like, in this spiral of all of the Joe Harris hate, all of the Steve Nash hate, all of the, you know, the bummed-out injury stuff with Kyrie and Harden, seeing all the quotes from all the press conferences. Like, I didn't want to see any of it, and I should have had more self-discipline to stay off or, or just delete my apps from my phone because it was bad. It, it just, like, it compounded the misery yeah. so much more. So I did it not hurts. do a good job. It hurts, man. Rick, I, I know you're feeling it uh, still a week later. Were you able to remove your eyes from, like, all of the, like, uh, texts and, and, or, like, the Twitter hate and all that? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I did as best I could because um, I didn't go out searching for the stuff, right? I didn't, like, see, see it scrolling through Instagram and things like that uh, because I know for a fact that for my own physical and emotional well-being that I should not look at that stuff. But when you're, you know, you have apps like Bleacher Report, ESPN, things like that, um, you do get the alerts that pop up on your phone. And so I did see like a fair share of uh, stuff like that after the series. And uh, it each time was like a stab to the heart. Anytime you get an alert like that, um, I'm subscribed to the Nets uh, Bleacher Report stream, which prior to Game 7 is something that I would look at daily. I'd look at the tweets, the posts, news articles, and I have n- not opened that <laughs> since Game 7. I wouldn't on a dare. Uh, you would have to pay me ludicrous amounts of money because uh, I do not have the strength to look at stuff like that right now. It's a week later, and I I still am not ready. It's It sucks. It sucks. By far the best Nets team we've ever seen in our lifetime. And honestly, without the injuries, could have potentially have proven to have been at least the best offense in NBA history. Now, they are all still on the roster. At least the big three are still on the roster for next year. But there are going to be changes. And it's clear that, you know, there are certain guys that are going to be 
well, they're all going to be older, but they're also going to be liabilities because of the fact that they are potentially injury prone at this point in their career. So, you know, what's the team going to do thinking about that? So I guess the one thing that I wanted to ask you guys before we get into like player movement over the offseason and all that is when you think about that series and all of the, the, the shitty things that happened with the Harden injury and the Kyrie injury and all the bad shooting, what's the one thing that like pisses you off the most like or upsets you the most to think about? Mike, how about you start? Uh, the team's overall reliance on jump shooting. And I said it in game two when they blew out the Bucks. And I think we came on this pod and you asked me, what do the Bucks have to do, you know, in game three? I said, honestly, they just have to hope the Nets miss jump shots and they have to make some jump shots for themselves. And this team was so reliant on hitting threes that they never got to the paint. Obviously, that was Harden specialty and Harden being out hurt that Kyrie is good at that. And then he got hurt. But no one else on the team could consistently get in the paint. Bruce Brown could get in there with a pick and roll for his floater every now and then. But Durant, for the most part, settles for jump shots. He's great at it, but Blake Griffin is out there taking jump shots. Jeff Green, when he hit all of his threes, we won a game. But when he didn't hit all his threes, we lost the game. When Joe Harris doesn't hit his threes, he's virtually useless. So I think the team just needs to find maybe if it's a big man that can just post up or another slasher. Like I saw like... Robert Covington's name being thrown out with a whole bunch of stuff like just someone who can be more athletic at getting to the rim uh, to provide more for the defense to worry about. Because right now it's just kind of like, hey, hope they miss and and we'll have a shot. And that's what happened. Yeah. Rick, what's the one thing that sticks out in your mind other than, of course, the defense that like you just can't get over that element of the series? Well, I was going to say the defense because – uh, you know, that's the, the one glaring need. Um, but I guess I could say the, the, the lack of adjustments, right? Like we, like someone like Joe Harris, who the entire series just didn't have it, but is still playing like 36 minutes a night, right? Like you don't have it guy, like get out of the game. Like we, we've talked off the pod, like Landry Shamit should have been getting all the Joe Harris minutes, you know? So Which is I, unbelievable I think, to think about. Like three months ago, you never would have said that. No, not at all. Um, so I, I think that, like Mike said, said it perfectly too. Like if you could have like some sort of interior presence, you would need rebounding. Like how many times too did we see off like a missed free throw, them get their own rebound off a free throw? Like you, you have a big advantage as like the defensive team on a free throw to get the board and. Too many times they would have that back tap and it'd be a reset for the Bucks, and it'd result in a bucket, and that's a big deal. So, yeah, I'd say uh, defenses for me is easily number one, but um, some interior presence and, and uh, more mid-game adjustments. Yeah. Uh, rebounding has always been a problem for them throughout the series. I mean, throughout the season because of their lack of size, lack of strength, and honestly, lack of effort uh, inside. Um, because they have mostly an offensive-based team, they never really put a lot of energy into getting the ball uh, in the paint. And when the Bucks are, were rolling with Giannis and Brooke Lopez at the same time for long stretches of the game, those are two trees on the court that the Nets are just not going to rebound over. Uh, Brooke, right now in this Hawks series, is seemingly useless. Um, but, 
against the Nets, he destroyed them. Yeah, Bruce Brown was made useless because of, of Brooke Lopez. Uh, Nick Claxton, I don't even know. He might have played a total of like 20 minutes in the entire series. The Nets' interior was was meaningless. And I don't know if that has something to do with the fact that James Harden was not there for half of it because James does open the floor more and gives those guys in the interior more to work with. Um, like Bruce and, and, and Claxton's best games came on James Harden, like, you know, point guard efforts. But I don't know. Yeah, the rebounding's the worst. I think, yeah, I keep thinking about Joe Harris shooting like 21%. For fucking the whole series. That's just horrific. Um, I guess we'll talk about how, like, where, what big moves do, you, do this team make going into next season? Do they get rid of a guy like Joe because he's a liability when he's not hitting his threes? Uh, Rick, do they do that? Or I know you might think they should, but do they? Uh, I don't think they do, just because I feel like they just re signed him. Yeah, they did just resign him. I think the organization does love Joe Harris. He he is a great teammate. He's a great locker room guy. And when he does, I mean, when he does hit his shots, and it's mainly when it's not in big games, he's a good player. But I've said for almost the entire season, trade this guy. I have been saying it. I said not that not because like he's not good, but now I think he's not good and he can die. Sorry, you could cut that. <laughs> but no, like having a guy like Joe Harris, it like who is he really is a one trick pony. He can't play defense. He's not a great passer. Like he's not a good rebounder. He is just an elite regular season shooter. And when you have guys like KD, Harden, Kyrie, who can shoot threes, Shamit, he he is streaky, but he can shoot. Even Blake, but he's not gonna be on the team this year, could hit his threes. Like you there's no need for a guy like Joe Harris, like this team needs rebounding and defense. Like there's no one on this roster who is a stopper, right? There's, we don't have a PJ Tucker, which is another huge mistake uh, that I think they made because they probably could have gotten him in the James Harden deal. And even after the James Harden deal, they could have gotten him. I think this is a completely different series if the Bucks don't have PJ Tucker, but uh, I mean, Bruce Brown's a good defender, but he's six, four, right? He's only guarding, guards there's not a versatile wing guy like a robert covington a lou dort pj tucker who can really lock up the opposing team's best offensive player maybe not contribute much on the offensive end which is fine when you have guys like the big three on our team but uh there definitely has to be some moves for most mostly defense but of course rebounding and if they're not made that is a huge problem because uh, this team is good enough to win the title if you just run it back, right? If they could stay healthy. But there's no reason to not make those improvements and adjustments because if you do have uh, adjustments like that, they are that much better. Mike, uh, other than Joe, what uh, what's a big adjustment you think they should make in the offseason? It doesn't look like Spencer Dinwiddie's coming back. Seems like he wants to be traded somewhere. Yeah, and I think he, he has that right. He's a, a starting caliber guard who, who's owed – a good amount of money, and if the Nets can't do that, then, you know, good for Spencer Dinwiddie, we'll all be happy for him, and I would love to root for him, hopefully not on the Lakers, but I'll yeah, he's, he's it from sounds LA. sounds like the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is from L.A., yeah. he wants to play in L.A., so... Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping the know. Nets can do a, a sign-and-trade. I've heard that's in the possible works, um, depending on what they can get back, but um, 
No, I think getting rid of DeAndre Jordan, whatever that takes, if you just have to eat the the salary, whatever, get him off this team, like, mm-hmm. just as soon as possible. I don't care that he's friends with people. Like, just get him out of here. I don't want to have that question mark hanging over our heads of, should he play against bigger teams to possibly, like, because maybe he should have been in the game against the Bucks to get some rebounds. I don't know. But I would like to just see him gone, bring in someone else, uh, whether they find a gem in the draft. I don't think they will. I don't even know what pick the Nets have, if they have a pick. They have the 27th pick, I think. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, <laughs> if, if they could trade Joe Harris for a guy like Miles Turner or uh, some other big man that might be out there, even if it's a no-name big man that's just, like, known for being big. I don't know. Like, I do like Joe Harris, like, for this team in the future because I think he did suffer from Harden and Kyrie's absence. Um not getting the same looks he might have gotten if teams had to like worry about Harden's penetration or Kyrie's penetration. But like we're going to have that question mark of is Joe Harris going to perform in big games? I don't want to worry about that. So they trade him. Good riddance. Uh, I do hope they bring Blake and Bruce Brown and Jeff Green back. Uh, maybe trade Shamit for something. Like I, I do like Shamit, what he was doing towards the end, but um, I think if they can upgrade to a big man for Shamit, maybe that's a good thing. Um, going back to what Rick said before about the adjustments, like Tyler Johnson, I thought was a pretty good player and filled a pretty good role. I'm not sure why he wasn't getting minutes. So maybe if you're not going to use him in a playoffs, see what you can get for Tyler Johnson. I think he proved himself. Yeah, he's true. If, I don't know if he's even a signed player at this point. I don't know all the details, but I think we all know a big man has to be a priority because Kevin Durant as your biggest player with Jeff Green and maybe Blake. Like, it wasn't good enough, and it's just going to happen again if they have to face the Sixers with Embiid or if they have to face even this Hawks team with Capella. Mm -hmm. Capella would be murdering the Nets right now with Hawks shooting and Capella, like, getting the boards. The Nets would be struggling against this Hawks team if they had to play them. So that's my get a big man. Not only only that for the Eastern Conference, but if— you know, fingers crossed, they're fortunate enough to make the finals next year. Then you are dealing with like Jokic or Anthony Davis. So like they're they're you got to have a guy. Like you can't yeah. be the only team that doesn't have somebody. Like he, he doesn't have to. Like Mike was saying, he doesn't have to be like some stud. Like we're not looking for like a yeah. a multiple time All Star, but you need a a serviceable body. Right. Like the Bucks shot really poorly the entire series. I think they they shot only well in game six. I think every other game they shot pretty crap, and it was the fact that they were able to score so many points in the paint was what really gave them the win. Uh, And that should not happen to a normal team. If the Nets just had someone a little more athletic who could make a few more stops and get a few more rebounds, even with all of the other problems they had, they could have walked away with a win in game seven. Possibly even ended the series in Game 5 because when they were doing so bad shooting-wise in Game 3, which is the game that I keep coming back to, the one that really upsets me the most, not Game 7, Game 3, when it was was like a rock fight. Both teams were shooting horrifically. The game ended 86-83. If they just had – obviously, they didn't have James Harden out there because he was hurt. That would have been helpful because he's a guy who can get to the get to the hole. He can get fouled. He can score easy like um, you know foul shots. But if they also just had like a big guy who can draw fouls, 
or something like get some sort of like attack at the rim but they had none of that it was all the jump shooting like you said mike and that's why they let game three slip out of their hands then Kyrie rolls his ankle in game four and it felt like the series completely changed from there so yeah game three is really like that's my nightmare <laughs> i don't want to ever think about that game again god damn all right well Try to be a little more positive. Did the way the Sixers went out make you feel any better about the way that the Nets went out? <laughs> because all of this Ben Simmons hate kind of right after the Nets lost took a little bit of the, oh, what happened to the Nets steam away. And now this whole last week was like, oh, shit, Ben Simmons is terrible. Who, where, What team is he going to be on next year? Why does this keep happening to Doc Rivers? Like, uh, is he even tradable? His, he's so bad in fourth quarters. Like, that's been the, really the conversation over the last week. So, Mike, did that make you feel a little better? It did, yeah, because all of our Joe Harris reaction is what Ben Simmons' reaction was, but, like, times 10 yeah. for Ben Simmons because, like, he's an all-star. He's the process, the number one pick. Um, so, like, Joe Harris, as Nets fans, like, we know him, but, like, the casual NBA fans just isn't going to look at the Nets' loss and be like, it's because of Joe Harris. They're going to go to the injuries and, you know, Joe Harris is kind of a footnote, but any NBA fan who watched that Sixers game seven is looking at Ben Simmons like, dude, go play in China. Like, seriously, you can't play in the NBA if that's what you're going to do, like how you're going to play in a game seven. So it did make me feel better. Um, what didn't make me feel better is like, well, here would have been a huge obstacle that the Nets wouldn't have had to deal with now. So like if the Nets had just gotten past the Bucks, like yeah. one less thing to worry about is Joel Embiid now. But it did make me feel better, especially because the Sixers are like kind of a rival because they're in the division and near us. So, yeah, it was nice to see them go down for sure. Rick, any thoughts on the Ben Simmons uh, tirade that's been going on? Or has that been blocked out of your, your uh, feed as well? Uh, mostly blocked out. It did not make <laughs> me feel any better. I am inconsolable. But I, I will say that it is very funny that a guy who's supposed to be a star um, who plays basketball can't shoot. He can't. He can't shoot. So it's it's funny. Uh, it it doesn't make me feel any better about the Nets, but it's 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 comical that a guy is like not only can't shoot. He refused to do a dunk on Trey Young afraid. in like the last three minutes of the game. Yeah. I now I I I heard something too that he's considering. Changing his shooting hand. Finally. They've been saying so, that for years. So I would love to see like a three-point shooting contest between him and Tristan Thompson, who is still trying to figure out his shooting hand, because that's a fucking joke. And I'll tell you right now, I'm, I, I'm in a bad place right now. But if I had Ben Simmons <laughs> on my team, oh, my God. I Yeah, I would – I would have thrown my phone into a river and no one would hear from me again because that is awful. That is bad. But he wouldn't – I mean, look, would you take him? If you if he was really that available, would you take him for, like, uh, Joe Harris and uh, Shamit right now? Yes. I would not. I yes, would not. He's, a, he's an all-defensive team player. Uh, yeah, he's and that's defense. Exactly what he's the defense, Nets, Mike. That's exactly uh, what the Nets need. Here – this is an unrealistic trade. It would never happen. But Ben Simmons does all the things that the Nets need. Like, they don't need shooting. So, like, that it's fine that he can't shoot for the Nets. 
for the Sixers, it's not okay. Like you, you have to be able to do that. But he's a great passer. He's a great rebounder. He has incredible length for a guard. Um, so yeah, he would be a great fit. I'll give them, I'll give them Shamit, Joe Harris, and I don't know. We'll throw in some. I don't know, hopefully take Reggie Perry. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. But like for the Nets, yeah, that would be great. And there are going to be teams if they haven't happened already that are going to make the calls for him. There, he has value and there are always teams that believe in their like coaching staff that like think they could fix a guy um i think at this point it's never gonna happen if it hasn't happened already with the shot it's 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 done maybe he'll shoot more but like he's never gonna be a shooter and that's okay um but there there is a there's a place for him in this league. It's not like he's he's trash, yeah. but like to, to not be able to shoot is a huge huge problem. Yeah. So here's why I'll I'll defend my I don't want him on the Nets take. Um, mm-hmm. You guys remember back when they had the Paul Pierce Garnett experiment? They made the playoffs, and then when Reggie Evans is on the floor, the other team pretty much like doesn't worry about Reggie Evans because he can't shoot. So it's five on four now essentially. And defenses get more physical in the playoffs. And what we saw with Ben Simmons in this playoffs was his refusal to shoot. The floor shrinks, and now no one's open when you're playing five on four because they can double whoever they want. They don't have to worry about you know the the weak side corner because Ben Simmons fine, leave him out there. I don't want that for this Nets team because the Nets rely on um, space and and shooting. So even though Joe Harris shot 21 percent, like. We have to just hope he doesn't do that again. No, God, no. And at least he'll accept his role is to shoot. If that's Ben Simmons in the court, like Ben Simmons would be standing around useless on offense because Harden or Kyrie or Durant's going to have the ball. Why would Ben Simmons have the ball on offense? And then it would be five on four. Now, yeah, he does play great defense, but you can't go the course of a 36-minute, you know, if he's in for 36 minutes out of the 48, playing five on four. It just won't work. And I've seen it happen too many times. Whether it was Reggie Evans or other like other teams, like I can't even think off, off the top of my head, but like there are uh, certain players in this league, people will just leave alone and play five on four, and I don't want that at all. A, a, a good example of that was uh, the Grizzlies with Tony Allen. They would do yeah. that. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, I, I see it, but also the Nets are basically five on four on the defense of Emma Joe Harris because he is Joey Butts. <laughs> yeah, he he had like two extremely annoying, and I mean the game was over with five minutes left. But do you remember in Game Six where he had like two fouls on three? On I think it was both on Chris Middleton where he got under his feet, like the stupidest foul you could make. And I think Chris made the first one too. That's just the classic Joe Harris bullshit boneheaded move to like commit such an important foul that changes the game. The Nets would get it within five. And then he would do that, and then like Giannis would have like two dunks, and it'd be like back up to eleven, and we're like, all right, yeah. game's over. Fuck you, Joe. <laughs> do you do you guys remember the game? You guys, you probably do. I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head. I think it was maybe uh, first round of playoffs. Joe Harris had like four or five threes in the first quarter. Yeah, on fire. Like just keep giving to this guy. That feels like a dream at this point, right? Like I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm not really sure that actually happened. I I I know I brought it up, but I'm I'm thinking we all just had a. A, the same dream because that doesn't feel real. I think that Boston was just so like they were just much worse on defense than the the Bucks. The Bucks are a very good defensive team. Are they a good offensive team? No, and that's why no one really likes watching them play. 
but they're very good defensively. So I, I have one quick point I want to throw at Rick. I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but Joe Harris in this series is the reason why I put like the asterisk by the bubble championship because Joe Harris in games one and two for the Nets at home in Brooklyn was fine, right? He how many he hit a bunch of threes. The Nets won by 50 or whatever it was. But then when it goes back to Milwaukee, Milwaukee gets to regroup, gain their own momentum, and now Joe Harris has the yips for the whole series because that shift happened. And in the bubble, that didn't happen to anybody. They just played in the same court, the same location every single time, no crowd. So there wasn't those momentum swings that like truly affects role players. So the superstars just played their games and the role players played their games. And you didn't get to see this classic back and forth that we're getting to see with the Hawks when they go on the road um, and get their momentum, teams like uh, maybe the Suns, like the bubble was missing that for me. And now I think this season's probably going to have a little bit of an asterisk because of all these freaking injuries. But that was my main point. Uh, I know you were saying how you thought the bubble championship was very meaningful, and I we just were on different sides of that. That's my main point. You don't see the momentum swings. Oh, well, I was, I was coupling in with that, like the social activism that was like, Going along with that, that was huge. Like BLM was a big part of that too and mm-hmm. stuff. You yeah. know, guys were saying even we shouldn't play or things like yeah. that. So it was more than just the bubble. But what I'm hearing, what I'm gathering from that is we need to get the coronavirus and really spread it out and get it the pandemic full blown again so that the Nets can play in the bubble in the playoffs next year <laughs> so we can win. Yeah. So Joe Harris doesn't get the yips. That... Yeah. So, so whatever yeah. it takes, man. There's been a lot said this week about the Nets um, post, you know, them losing and everything. Um, and, you know, Kevin Durant's been – he's been attacked by Scottie Pippen, but he's been praised by Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr said he was better than Michael Jordan. Scottie Pippen said he was he was the reason why they lost the series against the Bucks. Uh, Durant also went on a podcast. I think it was on that Rich Kleiman podcast he does. Where he, um, you know, he he made some comments about how he was really excited about this season, how things went really well. He likes the culture he's building in Brooklyn. How he's excited to come back next year with this team. So it made me feel a lot better knowing that Durant is seemingly in it for the long haul with the Nets. Now, do they get any extensions done before the beginning of next year? That's the huge question, right? And who do they go to first? Do they go to Durant first? Or do they go to Kyrie? Or do they go to Harden? Who are they getting an extension from before the beginning of this next season? I could chime in. I don't think any of those extensions would happen right now because I think they all have opt-outs, like uh, player options for that last year of their contract. So I think they would... You think they'd wait till the end of next year? Yeah, I think they might actually have to like officially like decline that option and then make those extensions like at that time. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but um, either way, maybe I'm too optimistic on this. And I know a lot of times I'm more on the pessimistic side when it comes to players moving teams, but I actually am pretty optimistic that these three guys are going to be together for more than just this contract. I just, I, it, I don't see them moving, especially Kyrie. I really don't think Kyrie's going anywhere unless he's traded. I would be shocked if Kyrie left, believe it or not. I have the most confidence in Kyrie staying. Um, I, but I don't see Harden or 
Durant really going anywhere. I think that, unless I'm missing something, I think they all genuinely like playing together. I actually think they really like uh, playing together. I think they just, as people too. Um, Not only that, like, it doesn't really get much better than, like, Brooklyn. You know, I mean, maybe, like, if you want to go to Manhattan (laughs) or L.A., but if you want to make arguments for that, but they're in a primetime location uh, with a win-now team. So uh, whether the extensions happen this summer, next summer, um, uh, my biggest concern is really the the role players that they're going to be able to keep around because um, I don't really have question marks, at least about the talent of those big three. So it's it's the pieces around them that's really actually, believe it or not, has me more worried. So, Mike, we love them. We say it all the time. Another contract that needs to be signed. Do the Nets sign Bruce Brown? I think they do, yeah. I think he proved to be a pretty valuable piece. He was playing all the minutes in important games. Uh, He plays hard. He plays defense. He's got the little pick-and-roll floater going. I see him staying. Uh, I don't know how much money he's going to be asking for, so... You know, the Nets are obviously going to be in cap hell with all three of these guys and what they've already given to Joe Harris and DeAndre Jordan. But I think they will sign Bruce <laughs> Brown. Um, <laughs> I think they're going to try to sign Jeff Green, honestly. Like, from what I've heard, Jeff Green sounds like he really likes it in Brooklyn. He's been bouncing around his whole career. I think if he finally finds a home, I think the Brooklyn fans and community have accepted him. So I hope they bring Jeff Green back. Jeff is 35. Don't you worry about that with Jeff? I did, but like, how many times did he dunk on someone? Yeah, he dunked all the yeah. time this year, which was amazing. But yeah, he just when when things go bad for a guy who's 35, they don't yeah. come back. So I just really hope if they sign Jeff, they get him for some like I don't know, eight million a year, some kind of deal. Oh like no, that. he won't even cost that much. No, no. Even, that's that's one of the reasons why why it would be great to sign him because he doesn't really, at least this year, didn't show any signs of really slowing down. You know, Uncle Jeff is still dunking, and his shot is still there. So he would be very low on uh, on the payroll, which is why he's a perfect guy to sign. I'm actually, I would be surprised if he left too. Um, it's more like those those mid level guys between that like seven to twelve, thirteen million dollar range. That really is where it gets difficult. Yeah, and just to, to backtrack to what Rick was saying before, I do think they're all going to stay together for a while. I think they do genuinely like playing together, like Rick said. But I think Kevin Durant is really out to prove he's better than LeBron. Like, I honestly think Durant, that drives him more than anything else. And the way to do that is to stay in a place where you've kind of built your own culture and win a few championships. I I honestly think he thinks he can do that and he wants to do that because while LeBron has had this whole you know, go argument against Jordan. I think Durant is right here saying, wait, <laughs> I'm in there too. I've beaten LeBron in two finals. He's beaten me in one. Like, give me another couple shots at this. And I think, where else are you going to go besides joining LeBron to give yourself a better chance of winning championships? I don't see any better prospects than what they have in Brooklyn with these superstars at the moment. So I can see this at least for three more years. Yeah, well, think of it this way too. Like, Kevin Durant seems like a guy who cares about what like other people think in the media and stuff like that. And uh, he's already made a couple team changes. Like 
what do you think everyone's going to say if he does it again? They're going to be like, yeah. they're, they'll call yeah. him a ring chaser if he goes somewhere else. Like, they're going to be like, Kevin Durant is a ring chaser if he goes somewhere else. And I, I'm all for player empowerment. Do whatever you want. Like, if I would be really upset if he went somewhere else. But um, if he goes... Uh, His only I, next stop that makes sense, like, if you know Kevin Durant, and I don't even think he would go there because I don't think he really thinks about teams this way would be the Washington Wizards because he's from DC he's from the DC area yeah I I don't see that happening either so um and I think too like if KD wins one championship with the Nets like he's like he's like statue worthy outside the Barclays like you're uh you're a New York legend so um I feel like getting a tattoo of that face he made after he hit the fucking like dagger oh. in game five when he was like, when he did yeah. like the, bro, I, I swear I fucking, I was, that was the most to me in my lifetime. That was the biggest net highlight that there's ever been. Even though it ends up that they lose this series. I keep thinking about game five as like this epic, epic game. What an, uh, I know we don't, we don't get to talk about the nets winning the championship this year. It's really unfortunate. Maybe next year. But we do get to keep talking and thinking about how awesome Game 5 was because he was um, amazing. And Mike yeah. and I, last uh, two weeks ago after the game, we, we did like a quick pod to talk about how exciting and electric it was. But I keep holding on to it because, yeah, not a lot of great things happened in Game 6 or 7. I, I mean, KD did almost win the whole series again, but yeah, Game 5, what the hell? 49 points, 17 boards. 10 assists. Yeah. You uh you you bringing up just Katie's face after that shot is the happiest I've been since game 7. I, <laughs> I had this I had this like oh it was so minor this fleeting moment of wow man that was cool. And then <laughs> now I'm still now I'm back to where I'm like god damn it was cool. It was cool. It was. There was there was a cool moment in my life at one point. Now and the cool just, thing, uh, and the, and the cool thing this. is that it was an epic game because for him, I think that's probably his best playoff performance in his career. So now, like, we know Kevin Durant is in the pantheon of best players of all time, and now we know his best playoff performance, unless he does another great one next year with the Nets, is as a net. And even cooler than that, Mike, for you, because you're an owner of one of these, he does it in the Basquiat jersey. <laughs> so when they do, like, the throwback, like, the NBA classics of Kevin Durant's career in, like, 10 years, 20 years – and they're doing, like, here are the highlights of Kevin Durant's career. He does it in that jersey, in this bizarre city, like, city version of a jersey that's kind of, like, okay, weird. I love it. I love that it happened. I can't really see it because of the Shamit background, but there it is. I got it. <laughs> yes, you do. So, yeah. That was the best moment in Nets history, even though it ends in a loss. <laughs> I mean, I guess oh you, get, you can compare. That's... And you, you know uh, you can't you can't even talk about the 2002 2003 Nets right now because Jason Kidd is just so mired in controversy with his his hiring in in, in uh, Dallas now very very suspicious uh, obviously Jason uh, Jason Kidd has like a very um, public uh, I I don't even know how to describe it it's just like a really terrible uh, abuse story that uh, he's a part of uh, that keeps getting brought up now. So when you think of Nets legends, I'd rather just yeah. think about Kevin Durant and not Jason yeah. Kidd anymore. As, aside from, like, guys who are, like, currently on the team, and we don't have to do- dive into this, but 
who do we have? Like, who who do we have to like hold on to and be like, yo, we have this guy as one Richard of our Jefferson? Nets legends. Is that really? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> is that what? I mean, I yeah. love Richard well, Jefferson. Well, guess what? Brooke Brooke Lop- Lopez isn't a legend anymore because he he put the dagger in the Nets. <laughs> God, is that well, Richard Jefferson? That's like. <laughs> If you walk up to the Nets fan and you're like, "Yeah, yo, yo, you you remember Richard Jefferson? I would, I would, good player, but I'd fucking puke." <laughs> uh, Kenyon Martin. I love Kenyon Martin too, but like, honestly, about he was Kenny Anderson, like, who's really active on Twitter. Kenny Anderson posting about how much he loves the Nets. I like that. That's pretty. cool. Honestly, I like Kenny Anderson, but I I think outside of Nets fans, I don't think a lot of people really even know who he is. I, I barely know who he is. <laughs> yeah, so I think outside Kenny Anderson, who was a good, not great player, like, oh man, yeah, it's it's a it's rough because Jason Kidd, like, I freaking love Jason Kidd, like, early two thousands, like, you know, when he was playing and stuff, but now he's he's canceled. A, he's a he's a bad guy. Also, yeah. he was the coach of the Nets, but, like, wanted also, like, the GM role as well and was, like, causing shit for our team as a coach. And we're like, mm, you know, you're fired. Get out of here because you're a jerk. So, yeah, all around bad guy. Well, it seems like there's a lot of uh, trouble in paradise in Dallas. And they called upon their former, uh, you know, point guard who, who won them a championship to come in and deal with – the, the uh, drama queen that is Luka Doncic. So we'll see how that plays out. That This whole thing in, in Dallas is so bizarre. Uh, even today, uh, I think one of the assistant coaches who thought he would be tapped to become the next head coach quit because he, he, feel, he felt so slighted by them. So, yeah, if you want to feel a little bit better about the Nets, uh, just look at the Mavs right now. Speaking Not of coaches, working, but I'll try. <laughs> speaking of coaches, what's our what's our season end grade of Steve Nash? Like, what do we give the guy? Uh, a being, uh, you know, he was the best. F, he's absolutely trash. Get a new coach. I'm gonna give him a C. Uh, I'm gonna say he did manage to get the Nets to the playoffs with no injuries, and I think that was impressive. You know, with what they were all dealing with, Durant coming back from his Achilles, Kyrie with all his issues. So, like, as we went through all of our frustrations all season with the lineups, like, he got them the number two seed, and they were all healthy going into the playoffs. That should be commended, even playing terrible defense. Now, the defense picked up in the playoffs, so that wasn't really the issue. The issue became the injuries. So then Nash's failure became what Rick said before with the adjustments. Playing certain guys for 40-plus minutes a game, not giving other guys a chance, could have been essentially the downfall of why we lost the series. So I'm going to give him a C. I think he did some good things, but his, I think he was afraid to make the adjustments. He was afraid of like, what if I try something and that doesn't work versus let me play who people think my best players are and we'll see what happens. Like, I think that's part of being a rookie head coach and hopefully he learns from it. But, you know, I don't think the, you could put it all on him at the end of the day. He's not the one who's, blocking Joe Harris from making a an open jump shot. Right. I give him a C. Right. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with everything Mike said. I give him a C as well because I think his regular season is probably like worthy of an A. Like you said, he, there was a lot of shit they had to deal with with um, injuries. There was a lot of changes to the roster even 
during the regular season. Um, there was also the Kyrie stuff. Um, so I think his regular season job was actually really good. I know we gave him a hard time early on, but I guess, you know, as a rookie coach, it took him a little while to um, really adjust. Uh, but the playoff, the playoff stuff is an F. There's no excuse. Like, I think Mike's right, too. He was probably scared. He's probably thinking, I've gotten us this far with Joe Harris playing this much. And Joe Harris is a great shooter. He's just in a slump. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. He's going to figure it out. And what happened is he never figured it out. He didn't make the adjustment. And uh, we got burned for it. So I think a C is all right because he did have uh, some good moments. What do you think about him playing KD all 48 minutes in the Game 5 win? And then pretty much played him – I think he played him 52 minutes in Game 7. I don't know I'm okay with it too, because at playoff time you got to do what it takes to win. So if that's what it takes, fine. And that was not what Bud was doing. So it was like I thought that was kind of a, a like even though he wasn't risking anything with Joe Harris by taking him out, he was risking a lot by playing his star players literally every single second of the game. But it ended up being the right move. And I, I think a lot of that comes from Nash being in those situations in his career where he was in game sevens or, or important playoff games, and he knew he had to be out there for nearly every second of the, of the game as well. Yeah, and I think he also communicated with Durant. I think Durant said in one of the post games, I think game five, he was like, I told coach, like, if you need to take me out, you can, but, like, I feel good. So mm-hmm. at some point, you got to trust Durant. Durant, like, looks like he's really struggling, you know, get him out. But if he says he's doing well and he, he looked like he was doing well, then how can you take him out, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Maybe playing Harden, though wasn't the right move because especially in that game five Harden did not look right so maybe give him a little bit of some breaks here or there but maybe they just thought you know Harden's leadership matters more than his weaknesses right now so we'll give him a shot I wasn't thrilled with Harden playing as much as he did personally Mm -hmm. yeah overall this year one thing that Harden okay obviously Harden improved in his assist making and playmaking but his shot making was not up to par like it had been in the past. Now, I know he had a hamstring injury for the whole second half of the, the, the like season, pretty much. But even before that, he wasn't really hitting his threes the way he used to on the, on the Rockets. I don't know if that's because of the way that they ran their schemes in, in, in Houston was different for him, but he was getting like 50, 60-point games for the Rockets. And it felt like, I think he sniffed, like I think he got 40 points like two or three times. But it was never like he was not really ever on with his shooting. Um, yeah. Do you think that's something that's going to persist next year as well, or you, you know maybe he's starting to feel age too? I don't know if like I don't expect to see the the point totals that he had in Houston just because there are other options that can score. Like in Houston, it was like him and Chris Paul. Chris Paul could get you like twenty points here and there, but Chris Paul is never going to get you forty. So Harden right. was the guy to score. Where now he's got two other elite scorer, scorers to like rely on. Um, I will say before, like, you know, Rick, Rick chimes in here. Harden had his injury to kind of uh, fall back on in this game seven, but it was another classic James Harden game seven. <laughs> he was awful. I think he was like one for twelve or something crazy. So it, it's a shame that he was hurt, but um, yeah, I think he'll be fine next year. I don't think we'll see the volume of shots, but I expect the efficiency to be. Uh, more normal if he's healthy. And Rick, how about Kyrie? What do we expect from Kyrie next year? 
Do we do we see him coming back and doing 50-40-90 again, or does he retire midseason? <laughs> um, does the 50-40-90 count if you retire midseason? <laughs> I, <laughs> he goes like 50-40-90 for like 35 games, and then he's like, yeah, I'm out. And, he, and he's like, he quits. Like he like he actually retires like at halftime of the All Star game. Like like they have like a ceremony. He's <laughs> like, yo, man, like. It's been a wild ride. Peace out. Like, I could totally see that. Nothing would surprise me. Um, yeah, Kyrie's, at least the, the production, it's going to be there. Maybe he won't hit 50, 40, 90, but it's going to be close. Um, so Kyrie, his production and talent has never been a concern. It's the the health and the head. That's really that's really what it's like. And they're, those are two major concerns. Like, they're very real. But... um. In terms of his on-court play, yeah, he's he's going to light it up again. You know what I honestly expect, Josh, from the whole team um, is, and the title for our show here still rings true, the best is net to come. Remember when the Spurs blew their finals against the Heat and then next year came back and just destroyed everybody? Yeah. And they won in five against the Heat the following year. I think, honestly, that's what the Nets are going to do. I know wow. we're, a little, we're a little down right now because of how this ended. But I'm actually very optimistic that this group's going to come back strong. I know Harden and Durant are both playing in the Olympics, so hopefully that. Gets uh, I think them. I think Harden dropped out because. Of oh, he did. Stuff. Okay, that's probably the the better choice. But at least Durant will probably uh, continue to just build his strength and you know keep his rhythm going. Uh, I think Kyrie's a guy. I don't see his production going anywhere. I think he's going to be just as good because his style of play just will, you know, be consistent. I think. So I think this team's going to come back with a huge chip on their shoulder. Stay healthy. You know, that's the the big question mark. But I think it's going to be kind of like a Spurs rebound season. And good luck to the other teams. Honestly, that's how I feel. All right. I'm riding that. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Or like the Heatles after they lost to the Mavs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they came back and they won the next year. So Um, we've seen it happen. Oof, I, I hope I've I've been heartbroken so many times. Like I want to learn to love again, but geez. Well, look, we we didn't get we only lost the dream because of injury. It wasn't because of a, a, a poor performance by the big three. Every single one of them put their heart into this season. They really did, and I'm I was so impressed with all of them at certain points. Uh, Harden in the middle of the season when he was carrying them through that West Coast, uh, that that West Coast journey where they like just lit up the West. Kyrie had a 50-40-90 season, so he was the most efficient guy on the team, one of the most efficient guys in the league. And then Durant, obviously, for being Durant, even though he was out for so many games, being able to come back and be just so dominant uh, in big situations um, was amazing. So I have. So much more confidence in the big three than I had at the beginning of the season. And yeah, like it's Rick, Rick said, it's, it's the injuries and role guys that are the things that are always going to be question marks for this team. Now that the season's essentially over, I know that it's still going on, but you know, none of us are watching these games with any sort of uh, joy. What are you looking forward to in the next few months? Uh, Rick and I, we root for the worst team in football, so I don't know. I don't really. I'm not looking forward to the Jets. Uh, is there anything else you guys are looking forward to, uh, sports-wise or otherwise? Um, maybe the Olympics, I guess. Yeah. Like, we'll get Olympics. to see some, some USA basketball. Hopefully uh, the guys they put together play well because 
you can't take for granted anymore dominating on the world stage when you don't have guys like LeBron and Kobe and prime Wade out there with Melo. Like that was an amazing team to watch, but now it's just kind of like a bunch of all-stars thrown together and um, hopefully they do their job and they play well, but you never know. So it could be fun to watch that. But otherwise, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to the Chargers season because Justin Herbert looks like a good quarterback, but uh, I'm pretty bummed <laughs> about about the Nets. So not much joy right now. Rick, uh, Zach Wilson, get you hard at all? No? <laughs> um, no, I would say, like, when they drafted him, and I, I'm super pessimistic as a Jets fan, but uh, when they drafted him, I think I got, like, a half chub because – uh, hope is like horny goat weed. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have hope. So yeah, I was, I was excited. Uh, but now, um, now that the Nets lost, I'm not even sure my dick works anymore. So <laughs> now that- Well, Hey, I mean, if you're rooting for the Mets, if you root for the Mets at all, uh, Jacob deGrom is having like a Michael Jordan-esque season on the mound. So that's something to look forward to. Not that baseball will ever even come close to being as exciting as basketball. Frankly, have you noticed that this year? I don't know. Do you have you noticed that this year they've been doing double headers where the first game is seven innings, or, or maybe both yeah. games are seven innings? Yeah, it's Love a new it. rule. Yeah. Love it. They should, yeah, every same. game should be seven innings. Why don't they just incorporate that to every fucking game? Because I'd watch so much more baseball if there were only seven innings. Agreed. Yeah, it's been really cool. I like the I like the double headers too because you can if you want to watch both, go ahead, or you can just watch the early one or the late one. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm all about it. Uh, it hasn't affected the blood flow. Uh, to my wiener, but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's really fun. So that's been fun to watch. You're right, Jacob Degrom has been uh, like Tom Brady, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, all like wrapped into one on the mound. Um, he did give up two runs in his last start. Yeah, so what a loser. that that definitely left me a little limp. But he has been ridiculous both on the mound and in the batter's box. So for you guys who haven't seen Jacob Degrom play this year. Uh, check out at least one game. You will not be sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, if we're getting ready to close here, I just want to say how fun it was to share the season, even though it was dis- disappointing in the end, with our friend group, the ball group, because before this season, like I know uh, Zach and Dean have been playing fantasy basketball with us, but like we haven't had a team that the, the group of us have all been this passionate about in any sport that I can think of. So for Zach, John, Dean and the three of us. It was a very fun season. Ended in heartbreak, but uh, I'm looking forward to starting it back up again in a few months. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I want to thank you guys. Uh, Mike and Rick, thanks so much for doing this with me. Uh, I think it was like back in September. I was talking to Mike about doing a podcast, and we were like, hey, what if we just hit up Rick and just you know, start talking about the Nets. Just talk about their history, see what we can can pull out of like, uh, you know, our memories of this team when we were kids and stuff. And, you know, it started with top fives and clown fives and, and, you know, we were, we were ranking our favorite players and thanks thing, you know, we were covering the team weekly and it was the most, it was such a fucking great ride. What is the most fun season I've ever watched uh, of basketball in my life? So I was great. So grateful to have had it with you guys. Of course, our ball group as well. Zach for joining us on the pod multiple times, John and Dean as well joined us on the pod. Uh, a few times it, it was it was a great year um i'll always remember this year win or lose my favorite nets year by a long shot for now though 
because for now because the best is net to come. Net to come. Um, yeah, no, it's it's been awesome. It's uh, um, been therapeutic for me in many ways because I can tell you if I didn't have the ball group, I know I don't text it a lot, but I see what everyone says at least all the time when I have the strength to actually read the stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's been so much fun and uh, definitely the the group and the camaraderie and the all that to go along with it is uh, it's it's really cool. I know I'm. All of us are pretty depressed about how the season ended, and I'm going to be this way for a while, but I know because it happens every single year that when (laughs) the next season comes around and it's opening night, I'm going to be so freaking jacked up for this team. I'm going to be like, let's go, and you're going to hear me again all next season, Nets and four. (laughs) <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. And uh, I, I, I can't. That's really what I'm looking forward to the most because I, I just want this taste out of my mouth and I want to talk about basketball some more with you guys. Yeah, me too. And for those of you who listen who aren't our, our immediate friends, thank you for listening. And we're going to come back next year and we're going to be trying to do it bigger. You know, I don't know how much bigger because we're not exactly um, millionaires. But we're going to do some things. You know, we, we, this year was our litmus test. We were trying to trying things out. We'd never done a pod before. We'd never done anything weekly like this before. It's probably the longest commitment I've had in a while to anything. So, you know, it's been good. And, and I think we'll come back next year with some new ideas for pods. We'll do some live streams. We'll live tweet. We'll go to more games, of course, because COVID will be over probably. So we'll get to go to more games. It won't be as much of a hassle. I'm really, really excited for doing this next year with you guys. So thank you again, everyone who listened to the pod. And, uh, yeah, any last words, guys? Nope, just see you next season. Yeah. See you next see season because the best is net to come. The best is net to come. Yeah, we don't have to change the title. We don't. Yeah. We don't have to. <laughs> kind of sad, actually, but it yeah, it's, kinda, it's too perfect. So the best <laughs> is still net to come. The best <laughs> is still <laughs> net to come. Season you two. Imagine if, you imagine if ne- next year we had to change the pod, like if they won, we're like, oh, the the best already came, so. <laughs> the best came. The best go. Came. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill. <laughs> it really would be, probably. <laughs> like, unless, That's like, fine. multiple championships. But, oh, man. Well, it's Nets and four next year, I'm telling you. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. And, uh, I don't know, whoever you're rooting for for the finals, cool, I guess. Take care. <laughs>